All right, Gil. We are live, dude. Welcome back to the pod, man. Hey, good to be here. It's been a while. How are I know. you? I'm doing well, man. I feel like every six months or so, I see a post from you on LinkedIn with like a new idea or like a new thing that you're considering. And I... I, I find it really inspiring, actually. Like, you're one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn because you've always got your hands in, like, something something fun that I think is going to be, like, you know, popular soon, right? Like, you're, you're, you're always, like, slightly ahead of the game, and I'm slightly envious uh, of you for that. But needless to say, it your content brings me joy, man, and, and that's what I love most about social media anyways. Oh, I appreciate that. And it's funny you use the word, you know, bringing you joy because my, my wife and I a couple years ago did the whole, you know, process of, decluttering our house and you have to identify what brings you joy and what doesn't bring uh, you joy and if little marie condo yeah goes and it goes away and it's like i've done that with social media recently like twitter right drop twitter because it's not bringing me joy right yeah. so i'm i'm grateful and honored to be able to bring you joy in your in your social media life <laughs> yeah well uh, yeah dude it's my standards are pretty high too so it, it is a compliment but dude i i, I want to talk to you about several things so you've been on this podcast a few times we every time you, i love having you on because we can just riff on a, a number of ideas since uh, i believe the last time you were on the show you hadn't started gr7 yet so you are now you, you've started a company you're doing a bunch of cool marketing consulting work you're a fractional cmo you are still working for some ed tech companies and I kind of just wanted to start by hearing a little bit about things that are on your mind right now with respect to like the state of marketing and like the state of the industry, given that you've had such a diverse perspective in and around ed tech for, for a while now, right? Working with a number of colleges and universities in, in, in an array of contexts. Now you're kind of doing your own thing. Over the last six months or so, like what, what, how is your perspective on marketing and or where people are spending their marketing time or where they should be spending their time? How has that changed or morphed at all? Yeah, I that's a that's a loaded question, right? <laughs> I think there's a there's some interesting perspectives to think about. I, I one of the things that immediately comes to mind is that there's I, I don't want to call it like a day of reckoning, but it's almost like the aftermath of COVID, right? Mm. Where particularly with higher ed institutions as a segment of marketers and advertisers, you know, when COVID hit, all of the resources went to virtual events and advertising and tours and maps because they couldn't travel anywhere. Right. Yeah. And so in, in the past year and a half or so, and or almost two years at this point, since quote unquote normalcy has returned, right. They they've had to find a way to revisit items and things that they were spending on. And I, you know, I, one of the, one of the jobs that I have is I host the FYI podcast for your institution. That was, that's an opportunity where I get to speak with higher ed leaders and influencers. Yeah. And we've had an episode earlier this season with um, Allison Tercio, who hosts uh, the application podcast, cheap plug on the Enrollify network. <laughs> and, you know, we had a great, we had a really great conversation about marketing investments and how, you know, the, the level of expenditures in advertising had doubled over a year and a half period of time or yeah. whatever that time window was very short period yeah. of time. And we all, we all agree it's not sustainable. Right. And I think there's, and, and it's almost like a, everything old is new again, perspective mm. with some of this stuff. But so this is going to be advice that was probably good two years ago. That's good. Now we need to be measuring and tracking the outcomes of all the things that we're doing. And if you can't measure it, stop doing it. And if you can't, and if you're measuring it, it's not providing outcomes, shift those resources somewhere else. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's 
something that higher ed institutions have learned and have started to now have to act on because for so long it was buy more names, it was buy more ads, it was buy, but now they, you know, they don't have the resources to do everything. And we need to be, you know, do what brings us joy, right? And do what brings our students joy. And the same goes for service providers. And that's kind of why my company exists, right? Is, you know, in institutions that are trying to support, you know, higher ed adjacent companies are they don't have the resources to have a full-time head of marketing or CMO, but they need it and yeah. they, but they need resources to implement strategies. And so this, you know, you mentioned a fractional CMO role. That's, that's something that's new in this space for sure. That I think is, is catching up based on my inbox and based on my <laughs> workload is catching up on pretty, pretty quickly. And you'll start to see more of that. I think as, as time goes on. Yeah. Well, what's also really interesting is that Oftentimes, when, when you're in a leadership position, right, absolutely at the C-suite, but even even below the C-suite at like the the VP level or even like a senior director level, so much of your job is doing things that have nothing to do with your actual craft, right? Like so much of your job at that point is managing people, it's managing up, it's managing the the politics of the organization that you work with, the institution that you work at, whatever it might be, that like the actual time spent crafting compelling marketing strategies or thinking critically about like the next big campaign or how to move the needle on attracting this particular student persona at you know in the ways and in the channels that that persona likes to be marketed to all those things right you, you end up only having so much time to actually dedicate to those things because so much of your time is actually spent managing people right and so what's interesting about the fractional cmo model is you could you could do it a couple ways right you could you could have somebody come in and hey we just want you to essentially pitch us what our our strategy should be obviously the full-time employee at the institution that the leader has final sign-off but like we we want you to essentially take over the, the actual marketing work and or it could even be like hey we want you to come in and, and help with some team building so that the the cmo can actually do the work of executing marketing strategy so i feel like while this model has really taken off in startups, it's now, I think, making its way into the B2B space. I, I, I wonder if there's there's an opportunity for higher ed to actually find a way to to make something like this work. Like, what, what, are, what are your thoughts? Like, do you think that, that that would ever happen in higher ed? I, I feel like this is another one of those situations where should it happen? Yes. Yeah. Will it happen? Maybe, but it'll take a while, right? I think higher ed... Has, has demonstrated that in a lot of ways that they're very much a traditional, you know, but in a seat yeah. or a role on a campus for the most part, there's some regional work and, you know, regional admissions counselors and, and that sort of stuff, but leadership level people, I feel like a lot of times are, are kind of tied to a desk. Uh, clearly there's always exceptions to the rule, but for them on a, on a large scale, it's going to take a, a little while for it to, for it to really catch on in that way, right? Yeah. Like there's remote work and then there's fractional non-full-time person engaged work and it's yeah. a different level of engagement there for a lot of companies not to say it's impossible but it's it, it'll take a little bit of time i think the benefit is it's in in, in, the, in the marketing space specifically there is a little bit more flexibility to bring in awesome people and not have to have them have a seat on campus 24 7 right yeah. and you know there's examples of that in the space for sure but I feel like right now where the, you know, at least for me, the sweet spot of companies is, you know, small, medium-sized startup, mid-mature mid type companies yeah. that uh, are lo looking to scale, but want to put their resources their, into technology development and, you know, 
sales and yeah. and those two and, and customer success, right? And marketing. And this is something that's not new. Marketing has always been kind of the area at a lot of tech companies I've worked at that needs to, you know, that needs more investment, but the resources just aren't there to get it to that next level. Yeah. This allows for that to happen without having to sacrifice the client services team or sacrifice on the sales or sacrifice on tech development. And those are the areas, especially in this, you know, climate companies should be investing more resources yeah. in, but you need to be investing in marketing to get your message out, to understand your brand, those sorts of things, right? So yeah. higher ed, I think we'll get there eventually, but it'll be a slow go for this type of a role because there's just such an emphasis on the on-campus in-person component to the roles in marketing and in recruitment and admissions. Yeah. I wonder too, like I'm thinking about just fractional roles in general, and maybe not even at the at the leadership level. And a lot of institutions work with agencies, right? So this idea of like mm -hmm. an, ag an agency partner helping with your enrollment marketing or your institutional branding or, or what, what have you, none of that is new, your event marketing, like that, that's ma many, many, many institutions work with agencies. And what's interesting, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, you know, hot takes and strong opinions on you know, when and how and where you should or shouldn't be working with agencies. But I wonder actually if, if like the fractional model actually gets higher ed a little bit closer to what they what they want in an agency partner, but what an agency partner just can't really provide. Like a, a lot of the agencies refer to their clients as partners, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's strategic in nature. The reality is, right? And like, I, you know, I've worked at an agency for the last 10 years and I understand this at least a little bit, right? Is that the agency can't be fully invested in your mission and vision and strategy as much as they might say that that they want to be or that they are because they have a plethora of other clients that they also have to to serve right whereas fractional folks like yourself like maybe maybe you have a, a, a few other people that you're helping out but like i wonder i wonder if the fractional i guess team member model for for roles like marketing actually gets you more of the brain and the time and the love from an individual than than an agency would because in theory uh, you, when, when you're fractional you have maybe a couple other organizations that you're working with obviously th this varies greatly but the fractional cmos that i know and that i've worked with they typically have like you know two or three at most organizations yeah. that, that they're working for because they they want to provide that that level of service and that level of value that is needed to get their client their organization to where to where it wants to be so it's almost like you get more Bang, maybe you get more like bang for your buck because you get more focus. There's less brain space being consumed by by other organizations. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but but I I wonder if that's a model that actually gets higher ed a little bit closer to what they what they wish their agency partners uh, would provide for them. Yeah, and you're making you're making a lot of smart assumptions and on and on the nose type statements, right? And I think a big part of this, like the agency versus a, a fractional CMO type component, right? An agency, in a lot of ways, it's a project based business for a lot of companies, right? Yep. It's like we're going to build you a new website, we're going to build your PR plan, and some companies will help and support that longer term. But eventually, the the nature of a lot of that work is we build it, we walk away, and yep. now it's yours, yep. right? And so, whereas with a, a, a fractional CMO, I'm just I am a strategic investment in leadership decisions without the drain on your full-time headcount with benefits and and equity and, and yeah. all those sorts of things for the you know the, the profit for-profit companies that I work with, right? But for, for higher ed institutions, for sure, like that again would be 
it it would need to be someone because like what what is the alternative consultants right yeah. consultants and working at consulting firms that work with 20 clients they have yep. 20 clients they, they come in and they're making recommendations unless it's a smaller boutique type firm which is a step in that kind of fractional type of a role yeah right and so there's there's different and, and you're inspiring me to make this like continuum of of the different types of things people could be working with and right in the best the best quadrant is the is yeah. the fractional cmo clearly right? yeah <laughs> uh, it all depends on your needs right yeah. sometimes you need someone to just come in quick and do a project, you know, but that's, I have a company that I work, one of the companies that I work with, and you're right on the nose, three, three is, is the sweet spot. I work with four, but that's because for, you know, I'm for one of them, I'm there, I'm the podcast host yeah. of FYI, right. Yeah. And that's one of my roles. That's not a full-time, you know, CMO level type of a role. That is a really awesome passion project yeah. and doing really cool things role. Right. And so flexibility to be able to do that is, is a privilege that I have. But, you know, I think one of the companies that I'm working, that I'm working with, it was, you know, they, that, that I am a true full, you know, in, invested in CM, fractional CMO. It was, you know, the, the prior, you know, folks that they had doing marketing, they didn't have the expertise or experience, unfortunately, to lead doing a, you know, website redesign project yeah. with an agency. Yeah. This company didn't have the resources for like, you know, the six month, eight month project of, a, of an agency, but I was able to engage a freelancer and do it quick, quickly and on budget and all that sort of fun stuff. Right. Yeah. And so there's, you know, the ability to make those decisions is something that rests at a CMO or a head of marketing level person. But again, there are a lot of places they don't have that. And so for higher ed, for sure, they sh it would make a lot of sense in those roles because then you divert those resources to paying your junior staff more, yep. to doing more events, to, yep. you know, making the cost of tuition lower. Shocking idea. Like that's not, that obviously wouldn't trickle up that far, but it's, you know, good pie in the sky vision and idea. But you're right on the nose on like the number of clients. I, I, I have three yeah. Actually marketing leadership roles at varying levels. And yeah. then it depends on the need. And yeah. so again, it, it all, always goes down to goals before tools. And I don't want to call myself a tool, but I'm, I'm a tool, <laughs> right? And it's, you can play that over and over again on the podcast. Yeah. Bill Rogers says he's a tool. Uh, but you know, it's, it's it, the, if your goal is to implement a solid marketing plan, but you don't have the resources to do that, how, what are the ways to do it? Yeah. One way is a fractional leader in that role. Hey all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. In, in the same vein here, but, but also circling back to what, a point you made earlier about measurement and how hey, if you can't really measure something, you don't know that you, you can't have a way to assess its impact, it's probably not worth doing, right? Uh, one of the big questions I've been wrestling with is, especially in this agency versus, versus building an in-house team within the context of a college or university, obviously I think that there are, there's a time and place for like both, depending on your size, depending on your, there, there are so many like, you know, buts and ifs and whens, right, when it comes to figuring out what makes the most sense for, for your context. But what I've been thinking a lot about is is data, right, and, and understanding insight and understanding ad performance. And 
this is this is not news to anybody. There are a lot of consultants and agencies and and partners in this space that they they basically ask you to pay this fee every month and then trust me, trust us, right? And they they actually don't. They'll they'll show you at the end of the day how many students they helped influence and or and or enroll. Maybe, but 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 the insight into you know, keywords that are that are performing well, or the specific, specific copy on landing pages that is inspiring conversions and and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like those sorts of insights aren't aren't passed back to the, to the core marketing team, right? And so, I wonder. And obviously, that's not true for everybody, but that is that is true for for a lot of partners in this space. And so, what I'm curious to get your thoughts on, Gil, as somebody who again is just like you, just have like a really interesting perspective here. You know, a lot of these folks like. Do you think we're? Do you think Hired is going to want to take way more control back of their data? And do you think that like the partners of the future are going to have to be incredibly transparent with like, hey, this is the budget that you gave. This is where every dollar went. This is how each you know dollar performed. He, essentially, here's the playbook, and you you can evaluate. We can give you in, we can give you benchmarks, and we can tell you how this performed against the other organizations that we work with. But at the end of the day, like essentially the the, the secret sauce, if you will, is yeah. going to have to be revealed. Like, do do you think that that's where we're headed, or, or do you have a different perspective on all of this? I, I was literally going to say that involves the company, you know, giving away their secret sauce. Yeah, right? <laughs> and for and the the companies that have you know there's. There's companies that have large market share that have benefited from a black box approach yep. to their marketing, to financial aid optimization, to you know whatever you know tool resource that it is, and I, I feel like there's going to be a certain level of like death by a thousand cuts hmm. in that type of an approach where these smaller firms that are kind of hyper focused on one thing are going to grab, you know, the, the low lying fruit from these people and say, Hey, you know, and, and I've got a great example of that, of, you know, one of my partners does, you know, does boutique financial aid optimization work. Huh. Right. And yeah. it's, you know, they, they, there's predictive modeling that goes into that. There's data analysis that goes into that. And their, their approach is we aren't going to, we're not going to just plug in numbers and do a cookie cutter approach here. We're going to help you to to build your model, show you how it's built so that halfway through the year, if you need to make changes, you can make changes. We are here as your resource, your guide and your support, but you're using our platform to make this happen. And it's bringing kind of a SaaS play to financial aid optimization, right? It's SaaS, but it's still with a service, right? So it's SaaS, SaaS with an extra S, right? <laughs> um, so, and, and that's what most SaaS and higher ed is, is right? Yeah. Is tech-enabled services. Yeah. And so it's, you know, you're playing, paying for access to a platform while also getting the resource of the guide and the consultant. But at the end of the day, you're you're unlocking your own data. You're empowered to do your own work. And I think that that's going to, that should happen with marketing as well, right? Yeah. Like there's no reason why an institution shouldn't understand what their strongest performing keywords are aside from that's a, guarded secret for the agency to make you keep working with them. Right. And so at some point you either going to develop those skills internally or you're going to, you're, or you're not right. But the, the more institutions can learn and do themselves, you know, in source as much as you can, that's going to save resources. Right. And this is speaking from the outsourced marketing person, right. But like, it's, you know, 
that's where the fractional leadership role kind of comes in is helping to make those decisions, help guide those without a guard around it. You know, yeah. nothing that I do is proprietary. I'm not walking, I'm not walking anybody, I'm, I'm not blocking anybody out from my process for developing a content plan or a marketing plan. I'm there, I'm, but I'm really good at implementing it. And yeah. I'm really, really good at knowing the people to help with creating the things that need to be created to support it. Right? Yeah. So that's, that's the secret sauce that you can't really replicate. Right. And, you know, and, I think that's that's the direction a lot of places and a lot of you know a, a lot of institutions are going to go because I yeah. think they're they're tired of scraping by to hit their enrollment targets. I was talking to somebody the other day who's a CMO and they, at an institution they were talking about working with a, a partner who's you know a, a name brain in the space that has traditionally taken a, a little bit more of like a black box approach and they recently started working with a, another partner in like a smaller capacity that's a little bit more like a boutique firm and the level of insight they have from that boutique firm is so much greater that they're literally now pulling resources, right? Because the black box firm won't give them the insight that they need and is charging an incredible, you know, upwards of five to 10 X what the boutique firm is charging. Yeah. And they're literally pulling resources and giving it to the boutique firm because they're like, look, even though you're still new and you know, you, you haven't proven yourself, yada, yada, like the level of insight that you're giving us, even if we have to fire you like in a year, we now know like these we know our numbers really specifically whereas like <laughs> we we walk into a, an annual meeting with with the black box the black box firm right and we're, we're, we're sort of it's a little smoke and mirrors at times right and, and what, I, what i think has accelerated all of this quite frankly is, is technology right like if you use like a hubspot or, or like an element 451 there there are just like products and and, and SaaS tools today that just make those insights like so much greater. And like, it, it, it's so much easier to access quite frankly, right? Whereas like yeah. a decade ago, you had to have training in these tools to understand how to properly analyze yeah. marketing performance, right? And that's just yeah. not true today. Like it's like a, a dummy can do it, you know? And, and that is the expectation that users have of software today. And so I think that has helped accelerate this, this sort of like desire that there's almost something fishy if you're not showing us the strategy. So I, mm -hmm. I'm just curious to see how all of this will play out and and how it's going to revolutionize the, the way that a lot of these partners have historically worked. Yeah, and I, I think if higher ed as a whole were hitting enrollment targets, every institution was financially viable and healthy, the teams weren't burning themselves out, running around like crazy people trying to you know recruit every student to their class, but student loan debt wasn't out of control, right? If those things were all true, yeah, then the black box agencies, that's fine, yeah, right? You're right. Yep. But they're because okay, you're really good at what you do. I'm just going to trust that it works. Yeah. But when we look at all the, you look at all the data, you look at the headlines. You know, trillions of dollars of student loan debt, institutions closing, missing their enrollment targets. You know, it's 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 really funny. I was having a conversation yesterday with someone about you know the net. Um, um, Inside Higher Ed just published the Chief Business Officer Survey, huh. and we had to chuckle a little bit because it was, you know, everyone saying we're it's a little tough this year, but we know next year will be better. And it's like, why? Oh, well, because we're at we're past COVID yeah. and things are getting back to normal. It's yeah. like that's not a viable, you know, reason, right? And then fast forward, you know, a few weeks when the Chief Enrollment Officer Survey drops, I guarantee you the responses are going to be we didn't hit our goals by May first. We, we're struggling our discount rate. We're yep. struggling with these sorts of things. So there's nobody's drawing the line between those two studies and saying, <laughs> okay, wait a minute, right? The chief business officer is looking through the world potentially with rose-colored glasses, saying, hey, we're gonna 
things are going to be great. And they're going to set enrollment targets based on these things. But then over here, you've got the enrollment person saying, eh, hold on a second. Yeah. And all of the, you know, established resources and tools that they have in place to use to try to get those numbers yeah. don't work. Yeah. Right. And it's, and it, and, and you, we get to a point where they need to be better about use of resources and time. And that's going to be reevaluating everything yeah. and reevaluate. And how much can we just do ourselves internally with the tools that we have build your team and empower your team, use the savings from all of those outsourced resources to compensate those people appropriately for those types of roles. Right? Years, a few years ago at this point, you know, when I, when I, when I went to, you know, when I, when I was at NRCCUA before it became Encora, they were doing a really great job of saying, Hey, you should have someone on your team who's, you know, not a, not just not just a side of the desk job for an admissions counselor to do this. You need a dedicated resource who is your enrollment data analyst, right? Mm. Not borrowing time from HR or not HR, IR. Yeah. <laughs> not borrowing time from IR, borrowing, you know, having a person whose job it is to know where you should be recruiting, what your your demographics are, what high schools you should be in, what, you know, what lists you should be using and how you should be using them. That's a full-time job. And, yeah. you know, that's, you know, and, and if you don't have it, clearly, you know, they can consult and support, but they were doing a really good job of training and teaching people how to do that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, like the CRM platform, you know, you mentioned Element 451 does a great job of, um, you know, empowering people to and teaching people and giving them the, you know, teach a man to fish, right? Yeah. And like give them the give them the rod and the hook and the bait, and then they can do the rest. And I think we've been so reliant on these other providers being the drivers of all these things, but there's a desire to be and do better. And I think that that's what is going to happen is that is the smaller firms that are more open and transparent and help with building up your team. Yeah. You're even though you could do it yourself, you keep working with them because you trust them as a guide and a resource. Yeah. And that trust has started to crack with the, with the, you know, big box store conglomerates, yep. I think. And, and, uh, you know, simultaneous to all of this, you, I also think within higher ed proper, we're just seeing a new class of leadership like emerge. Like you mentioned Allison earlier, who hosts Enrollifies the application podcast. She's AVP of enrollment and marketing at, at Siena College. Jenny Petty, who's CMO at, at University of Montana. Jamie Hunt, right, who's CMO at, at OD. You've got people who are, you know, they're a little younger than, you know, the, the people that came before them. They grew up with ac access to some of these tools. They understand enough to be dangerous when critiquing sort of a, a report. They understand how the internet works, right? And like, when you talk to them, right, Right? you're like whoa you're you're just you're really savvy like you're smart I, i'm glad that you're like the future of leadership in in the industry and and we need more you know leaders like them because but because i think for so long right and i hate to call it like the old guard right because i might have negative connotations to it i mean it with like the utmost respect but like the the the, the, the folks that came before quite frankly you just like software wasn't accessible in the way that it is today. These insights, they didn't know the internet. It was really hard to understand how digital student recruitment could or should or might work. But we now know a lot of things. Like we, we understand, we've had over a decade of schools understanding how to take a digital first approach to student recruitment. Now it's sad that that's still like a barrier in, in some contexts, but like 
no one should be surprised by how you might go ahead and implement a strategy like this should, should you want to like it it's not it really is no longer rocket science there is so yeah. much quite frankly free content out there to help you yep. figure out how to do this right that's one of the things that we've tried to do at enrollify like there's so much great free content that, that there quite frankly are no no more excuses but at the end of the day because of just how higher ed is structured you need the leadership within the institution to, to, to be the people that ask the tough questions. Like one of the things I'd love to see at a conference, and maybe you've seen this Gil, but I'd love, and maybe this is a, it'd be so badass if like an agency went and did this, but like giving a session on all of the questions you should be asking your agency partners that they should be able to, to like answer for you, right? Like a list of just really thoughtful, uh, deep questions around, hey, can we spend some time talking about the conversion rate from the keywords that we're ranking for organically into enrolled students, as opposed to the keywords that we're, we're paying to rank for, right? Like a, a question like, like that, any good agency, assuming they're doing that work for you, right, sh should be able to answer. And if they can't, that should be an indicator that, okay, we either need to allocate more resources so that they are able to answer that question for us, or maybe they're not the right partner for the stage that our organization is at. Yeah. I mean, you're, and it's funny to go back to the, all the names you mentioned and the, the quote unquote new guard that sort of, I, not too long ago, millennials were the blame for all the problems of the world. We're just <laughs> sitting back eating our avocado toast and, you know, not buying houses. Now we, the, are the saviors of higher ed. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. it will, and it's, it, that's going to happen. And, you know, and to, to your point about, I, I, I agree the term old guard is probably not the the best term, but we say it cause we, everybody knows what we mean yeah. is, you know, you don't blame the caveman for not driving cars around because cars didn't exist at the time. Right. <laughs> and so you don't, you don't blame retiring VPs of enrollment necessarily for not using some of these things 10 years ago, cause they weren't good and they yeah. did not exist 10 years ago. Yeah, right. And so yeah, yeah. these things have all evolved over time, but the time now is to utilize these resources effectively because there's been no better time for the use of data and the use of software than today in enrollment management. And, you know, you can, but the irony of all that is, is that you still have companies touting how effective and awesome putting digital display in high schools is, yeah. right? Like there's a, there's still this kind of like clamoring for the the way things were versus pushing towards the way things are and should be. Yeah. Right. And I think, yeah, I, the challenge for that type of a session is and well, the, the benefit for that type of session is you're addressing the challenge of there are a lot of folks that the reason why they outsource to these things is they don't know the right questions yeah. to ask. And yeah. so if you equip them with the right questions to ask, but then the next piece to that is to know what a good answer to that question is yeah. versus sifting through the smoke and mirrors yeah. that, we, that we've talked about. Right. And so there's still a lot of training and growth and development that goes on. But I think it'll get as more and more tech savvy and marketing savvy people step into leadership roles at these institutions. That's going to to lead to that type of conversation being able to be had at an, in an effective way. Yeah. Do you, given again, given your in depth of experience, when you look at sort of higher ed marketing teams and how they're structured, and obviously like it's so different depending on the institution, but. Do you see sort of like gaps in in roles and or do you, do you see sort of like a, a marketing skill set that needs to be that needs to be present in in these strategic units that is largely unpresent, not present right now and or just like under underfunded or or, or mm -hmm. uh, underserved right now? And if so, like what 
what are those roles or those responsibilities uh, that you see that you see uh, missing in in the market right now? Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting question, and you know, we keep pulling up past podcast hosts and guests and all these sorts of things that I love because it's great for episode notes to link to these <laughs> things. But a few weeks back, we had a real I had a really good conversation on, on FYI with Tej Mateel at Enroll ML, and I've known Tej for for a very long time when he was on the institution side, I was on the startup side, all these sorts of things, and one of the things that he brought up that I think, you know, really addresses this point is, you know, we, a lot of ways our hiring processes, particularly in admissions is built on hiring a staff that existed 10 years ago. And we're, we're asking people to come in and be, you know, energetic and be, you know, people who are, you know, great at connecting with people and want to do those things. Yeah. And then we're putting them in front of a screen and asking them to look at spreadsheets all day. Right. And so there's, again, that kind of goes back to that point about enrollment data analyst and like, what are, what are the skills of the team you actually want to hire for? Right. And it's just like, you know, when I, when I worked at a regional private school in new England, we had, you know, people on our team that we knew that we could put on the stage at an open house to talk to all of the 150 families that were there that day. And we also knew the people who were much better suited to do the one-on-one counseling sessions to talk about their day, but we would never put that person on the stage because that's not their strength. Like we don't want to put a person in a position where they're doomed to fail because that's just not in their wheelhouse of speaking in front of a very large group. And so it's the same kind of thing. This permeates throughout everything, right? Is like, is we need to, we need to assess our job descriptions and look at the types of roles that people are that we're that we're looking to fill in. How many roadrunner admissions counselors do we really need? Yeah. Versus how many people do we know that can do you know prompt engineering and ChatGPT or yep. people who can you know do can who can run reports in our CRM name the CRM it doesn't matter right like they they have the skills and the resources to do those things. You need a mix of all of those, and yeah. I think you know 10, 15 years ago, admissions offices were over indexed on energetic, youthful people traveling and going going door to door, whereas now there's still a pocket for that that's necessary for yeah. sure. But maybe you, you train those people or hire people who have the skills for the use of these other these other things. That doesn't make it bad. It yeah. makes it different. It's, yeah. a di- it's a different job. And we need to we need to really evolve in that play in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. I, I also wanted to pick your brain a little bit about sort of what, what I'll call just like the rise of the higher end marketing, like influencer, the, the, the enrollment manager, influencer, and what this means like to me, and I'm sure everyone has a slightly different definition, but you, you've seen people do a really good job at talking and teaching about the things that they know, their experiences on, on social media and, and, and their, their sharing of content, right? Has, has amassed a, a sort of uh, following for, for them, mm-hmm. first and foremost. But what's been really interesting to kind of see is, I, I know several people who, it's actually been a, an incredible asset for hiring for their respective team. So I'll just, again, pick on Jamie Hunt, right? One of the things that she has remarked that that's been so amazing about hosting a podcast is her podcast, Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. She's been like, it's been one of the best tools for talent acquisition for her team at ODU because she says like people will follow me and they'll they'll understand a little bit about like my approach and how I see the world and like what I think about marketing, right? And so going into that that application process or, or that interview process, while a lot of it is still outside of, you know, Jamie's personal control, mm-hmm. w- what's interesting is in, in a moment where 
it's really hard to attract great talent in, in a lot of these strategic units finding these if you are in a position of leadership right becoming somewhat of a thought leader or somewhat of a, a more public influencer could actually be the solution to talent acquisition that you're looking for for your respective team so anyways i i, I built in a lot of assumption there yeah. but but i want your thoughts on like on this approach like is this a good approach like yeah. are we going to see more higher there's, ed marketing influencers <laughs> yeah there's i mean there's two sides to that right like you said there's the it, it is is you've got the influencer that people want to work with and for because they love what they're saying and they love what they're they're pro professing in the industry and they're pushing and challenging and that sort of stuff and it's like that attracts talent right yeah. then you have the influencer who wants to do, go do things at a company or work with a team and you're hiring in a sense their audience and you're hiring their that you're hiring them for their audience yeah. you're not hiring their whole audience right yeah. but you're you're hiring them for their audience and their reach and their influence yeah and that by by extension extending your brand right yeah. and so and then and then the other way is it is influencers outside of your company getting them to to profess and support but i think the first two are the more you know the the, the closest to what what currently happens and obviously, you know, institutions, whether it be a company or a college, right, they need to have some pause because we all know that in, in a lot of ways, the public persona that people put on the web yeah. is not necessarily the same as their day to day working at the actual company, right? And that happens probably, you know, all the time, more frequently than you probably think yeah. when, when that, that sort of stuff happens. However, when you get that sweet spot right, and the person that is on the web is the same person as they are day to day and that on the web personality is impressive and thoughtful and challenging and driving things forward that is the kind of person that you want on your team yeah. right and because it in the and you don't you're not hire but you know what's the old adage you know you're not hiring for skills you're hiring for talent right and so like if someone is coming and bringing that type of talent you can teach them your internal processes yeah. you can teach them your day-to-day -day things yeah but you're bringing that energy and you're bringing that creativity and and so, so especially again in the, in the ed tech space there's definitely a lot of value in in people who have built their audience and built their network because by they when they're with you they are by extension building your brand and your network right yeah. and i think you're a great example of that right of the work that you do right and so it's to to bring the to bring the love full circle from the opening <laughs> to the end it's you know i think there's a great example here of like someone who gets out there pushes the envelope challenges the status quo but is tied to a company or tied to the work that the company is trying to profess. That's community. That's the the sphere of community building, yeah. right? Is yeah. is you have that person that is out in the forefront, and then that just be, expands and evangelizes from there, right? Yeah. And I think that's something that with, that institutions need to think seriously about. And that's not to say colleges should go work, go focus on recruiting a Kardashian because that person is <laughs> going to post a picture on Instagram wearing their t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not going to move the needle for 99.9% .9 of institutions, but it's thinking about how you can attract talent and attract people to your team. Yeah. Yeah. So, so interesting. And it's funny when it's funny that you brought up like community in, in particular, one of the things when we were producing Terry Flannery's How to Market a University Master Course, we went and interviewed a bunch of CMOs that were friends of Terry that were part of this course. And the number one thing that all of like these CMOs said 
with respect to how they've been able to build like internal support and buy-in for the marketing of whether it was the college, whether it was a specific set of programs, whether it was the institution as a whole, right? Was the ability to build really meaningful bridges with the other strategic divisions on on, on campus and how several of them even said something along the lines of the best, you know, higher ed CMOs are the best community builders. Like if you can be a great community builder and you understand how to rally people together right to uh, around around a common cause that's really sort of a goal of all leadership and all, all leadership types but especially mm-hmm. as it pertains to to marketing marketing is typically uh, a, a division that that touches several other divisions right like it, it is sort of like a, a point of intersection for the yeah. rest rest of the 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 in, in, of individuals on campus so I, I love that and I think that you know the best may, maybe a good takeaway for folks too is like hey if you want if you want to be a senior marketing leader if you want to be a CMO at a college or university one day if you want to be a chief enrollment officer at a college or university one day look in the mirror and ask yourself right now how are you doing at building community like are you a bridge builder or not right skills yeah. alone will not get you there so Dude, this is this has been great, man. Uh, wide ranging conversation as always with you, Gil. I appreciate your brain. I appreciate your thoughts. I love how you see the industry. I think I think the role that you're in right now is really really cool, and would love to have you back on in a, a few months as you continue to test out this kind of fractional CMO role. Let us. I really do want your thoughts on how we could translate this into a model that could work at, at higher ed. Maybe that could, maybe we could have like a formal like. All right. If we were to try to make this model work for higher ed, here are Gil's thoughts on like how it could. That'd, that'd be a fun episode to produce in, in a few months sure. uh, yeah. and, and, and uh, bring that to our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure being on and I look forward to next time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, man. For our listeners, all Gil Link shouted out his FYI podcast with, that he does with Mongoose. He talked about a couple specific episodes that I'll link in the show notes below if you want to go listen to those episodes. And if you're just curious about, if you don't already follow Gil on social media, highly recommend that you do. I'll link his LinkedIn profile in the show notes below. And then Gil, any, anywhere else you want folks to kind of reach out if they're interested in learning a little bit more about how you see the world? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got my website, gr7marketing.com. Check that out. And if you want to connect, connect with me there or LinkedIn, Smoke Signals, whatever, whatever way works best for you. Perfect. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been a pleasure. 